Today we will be in the book of Galatians. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can thumb it. If you have your um, app, you can get ready to get there. But essentially, as we look at the book of Galatians, it's important to know who the author was. And no one seems to debate who the author was. The author was Paul. Paul was writing to um, Galatia. So he's the one whose penmanship was on this book. Now, the historical context is important. Historical context can help us interpret kind of the whys, the whats, the whos, the whens. So the background of it is unique. Now, there's much debate in, I guess, the timing or who specifically he was preaching to. So for the sake of how I want to preach this series, I don't want to get too far into the weeds of the background. Though there was much debate about who Galatia was, right? So was Galatia an ethnic group that Paul was pinning this letter to? Or was Galatia a province that he was writing to? So if it was a province that he was writing to, was it North or South Galatia, right? If it was an ethnic group, then it becomes a little bit clearer. So that being said, if it was written to an ethnic group um, or a province, the message doesn't seem to change too much. Paul's message is still going to be clear throughout this book. Now, the only thing that would change is if it's an ethnic group or North Galatia or South Galatia. What would really help us um, understand is Paul's missionary journey. When he was when he was in North Galatia, when he was in South Galatia, who he kind of stumbled upon. But it really wouldn't change the heart of the message. Really what it would help us do is understand the time frame of when this book was written. Now that being said, many people believe that based upon their interpretation of the background of this, that this was Paul's first letter. So... What does that matter to you and I about the interpretation of the uh, book of Galatians? Not much today, right? I mean, people have written books. Theologians have written, you know, thousand-page books about understanding the background and the interpretation of Galatia and the Galatian story. So we already take, you know, a year in the book of John. We take a half a year in the Sermon on the Mount. Do we want to open up the background of the Galatian church? Probably not, right? So nevertheless, what was the message and the purpose of this book? The Galatian church was being infiltrated by Judaizers. There were people who were teaching a gospel, right? A gospel that was not a gospel at all. So Paul was writing to a church that was confused, to say the least. They were being taught that the gospel was dependent on human effort, and that would make them pleasing in the eyes of God. This is completely contrary to what the real gospel of Jesus Christ is. See, true salvation and true sanctification are by grace alone through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we study the book of Galatians, we are going to see the difference between living by our flesh, and living from the Spirit. Galatians will teach us 
that the flesh and the spirit are at war. And as long as we are in our imperfect bodies, we will deal with this battle. I know it's been challenging over the past, um, you know, several years that we've gone through um, some hard scriptures, specifically James, or even when I think about the past couple of weeks of many of you will come to me on that day and say, did we not prophesy? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not deliver demons? And Jesus says, plainly I tell you, I never knew you. So those have been challenging scriptures to our heart and sometimes maybe even um, could be confused with, are we preaching works? Will I have to go to Jesus and say, look what I did? Well, actually what we understand through those scriptures is it's not about works at all. And the book of Galatians is clearly going to state that it's Jesus plus nothing. Amen? I didn't hear a church say amen. Yeah. Fine, fine. Jesus wants you to work really hard. Amen? amen. <laughs> Jesus wants you to empty your pockets today. Amen? <laughs> so let's try this again. <laughs> it's about Jesus plus nothing. Amen? Amen. amen. So, um, yeah, this means we must truly understand God's grace so that we can live by the power of the Holy Spirit and overcome our flesh. So as we begin this book, it's interesting to see Paul does not start with his typical pleasantries. When you read many of his writings, there's pleasantries, right? With this one, he doesn't start that way. Paul seems to get right to the point and confronts Galatia with their failure. Paul, though the Spirit didn't, um, yeah, Paul, through the Spirit, didn't feel like it was the time to be soft or uh, gentle. He felt like it was, it was time when he's addressing the Galatian church to be serious, straightforward, and he showed it. This means that we should also receive Paul's message as if he is confronting us in a powerful way. We should listen. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the church in Galatia. So what's happening here is Paul kind of starts in this unique way. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by a man. Paul is being challenged. He's been challenged. What's, what's kind of happening be, behind the scenes that we don't see going on is Paul is being challenged by many false teachers. Essentially, what's, what he's being challenged on is, Paul, you have not been ordained by man. You don't have authority by man. So you haven't gone to the right school. You don't have the right credential. And we haven't ordained you, right? So we didn't have the man-made ordination, certificate, or degree. Now, what's really unique is um, many people will ask me, well, where did you go 
to seminary? What's your qualification? And, and what I often end up seeing is those who have, not everyone who has a seminary, seminary degree is this way, so don't hear an accusation. But what I have been a part of is many who have seminary degrees, they're just so stuck in their ways and almost religious and prideful about their certificate from man that it says seminary, right? I went to 10 years of schooling, and now I'm an expert. So essentially what's going on here is they're saying, hey, Paul, you haven't been under our training. So they're saying, we, we do not trust or stand behind your teaching because you haven't gone through our school. So essentially Paul's addressing that right here. Look, I didn't receive my ordination from you guys, from a man. I received my call, I received my authority, I received my ordination from God himself. And where do we see that ordination take place? We see that in Acts chapter 9. If you guys are familiar with the story, Paul, who was a murderer, would ferociously seek out killing believers, had the Damasc Damascus Road experience, right? He was blinded couldn't see, encountered the presence of Jesus. And um, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then three days later, Paul gets his eyes opened up as he's obedient. And um, he then began to follow um, Jesus' rules as a disciple. He then started to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So his call was not given by going to a school. His call was given by Jesus in Acts chapter 9. Therefore, Paul, at the beginning of this letter, is rebuking the claims that he is fake. He's been called by Jesus, not by man. And that is the authority that he speaks with. Now, Paul, was, with his authority from God, now comes to the defense of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus that he's coming to the defense of is grace alone. It's hard to receive sometimes, isn't it? Grace alone. Now, it is. The gospel's grace alone. The hesitancy that some people have had to preach grace alone is that sometimes people then feel like they can take advantage of grace alone. Anyone in here ever felt like they've taken advantage of grace alone? I have. But what happens is, because of his grace and his grace alone, he ends up pulling you back and reeling you back in. Amen? Amen. Nevertheless, that's what Paul is addressing here. Verse 3, here's what he says. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul reminds the church here that we are saved by Jesus giving himself for us on the cross. We are saved by grace, God's unmerited favor. Grace gave us peace with God, and grace came as a matter of God's will. And this is what Paul has been preaching everywhere he goes. 
Salvation is God's grace alone through Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else. It's Jesus or it's grace plus nothing. That's how we make it to heaven. Grace plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. That's it. And Paul is mad. He's fero uh, ferociously rebuking this church. Therefore, when people add to the claims that there is work or anything required for salvation, they have polluted the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then you ask the question, well, faith without works is dead. Is that polluting the gospel? It's not. Because what ends up happening is, is when you receive Jesus, when Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, opens up your heart and you understand that the only way that you go to heaven is by his blood and by his mercy and by his grace, the living creator of everything, God, Jesus, comes to live inside of you. You become a new creation with the Spirit of God living inside of you, right? Amen? Now, when you become a new creation, what ends up happening is through time, through life, through challenges, through peaks and through valleys, the slow journey of falling in love with the Father. So what ends up happening is you realize, my heart is broken, that the world doesn't have peace. Now, you don't have that brokenness because you're good or that I'm good. You have that brokenness because the creator of everything now lives inside of you. Amen? So what ends up happening is faith without works is dead because I think what James is really sharing with us is that if you have the creator of the universe in you, there's going to be good works in your life. But we don't do the good works to try to prove that we're good. Good works become an overflow in our life because of our love, um, because of our broken heart by which God has enabled within us. Amen? So, I guess I see James and faith without works as a piece of me understanding that I'm a new creation. It helps me understand that my compassion and that my broken heart, because look, within myself, I just want to care about myself, me and Macy, and forget about everyone else. But because I believe that God is living within me and I'm a new creation, there's compassion and there's sacrifice. Amen? All right. So Jesus plus nothing. As I said, therefore, when we add any claims to that work or anything else required for salvation, we have polluted the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing here. We, we receive grace. We receive peace. We receive salvation. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. And we do not retain it. Anything about us retaining it, anything about us earning it, anything about us deserving it is a work and not about grace. And that's what Paul is addressing here. The gospel is all about Jesus and the grace of God. Now, Paul continues to say that Jesus gave him himself to rescue us from the present evil. So when we receive or open the door to Jesus' knock, when we acknowledge his sacrifice, we are born again. As a new creation, we are now rescued from the present age of the world. 
the dead world and the ignorance of the world doesn't have its sting on us any longer. This means that we are saved from the judgment the world will endure. So we must ask the question, if God has saved us from the world around us, the evil world, and if God has saved us from the judgment to come, then what more than grace is required? That's Paul's point. Jesus in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection is all that you and I need. Amen? We should be excited about this. I'm looking for a talk back church today. Someone come up here and play the piano. Come on, somebody. Therefore, the grace of the cross is Jesus plus nothing. So when you got mad at your spouse today, when you've been rude to your spouse for the past three weeks, when you feel like you should have talked to the person at Walmart, it's not that you shouldn't have. But if you would have, it doesn't, it's not going to make Jesus love you any more or any less. Because when Jesus sees you, he sees you through the cross. Amen? Now, I'm also not going to preach cheap grace. And that's why we went through the Sermon on the Mount. So it's kind of challenging, right? You're like, you're taking us from here to here. We're going to try to bring it here and make it all about Jesus. See, this provides us everything we need for life now and for life later. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, provides sanctification and justification. Sanctification is this, is to set apart for special use. God making you and I holy. Now, justification is just as if I've never sinned. So we are seen righteous in the sight of God. So through his grace, we are set apart for special use, right? We are being made holy. But then when he sees us, it's, he sees us just as if we've never sinned. Therefore, the grace of the cross is what? Jesus plus nothing. Let's try it again. The grace of the cross is Jesus plus nothing. Now, Paul, at this point, hasn't been over the top. You know, so far in his introduction, he hasn't, they're not quite yet feeling the tension or the frustration that he has expressed. But he's very quickly getting ready to snatch them up. And here's where he begins to snatch them up. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul comes really quickly with a strong rebuke. How have you so quickly deserted the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you realize what you are pursuing is no gospel at all? See, 
Paul is amazed. He is astonished. And he is marveling at the fact that they have pursued another gospel. See, what's interesting is essentially what he's getting at is, look, I just taught you about the grace of God and how it's Jesus plus nothing. But now there's this group that's coming. There's these teachers that are coming to try to tell you that it's Jesus plus some old works. There were some people in the Old Testament wanting, or they wanted to go back to Old Testament ways of following laws. So, hey, Jesus plus the 600 uh, 600 plus laws. They were trying to pervert it to say, if you follow this, if you don't eat this, if you would just do this, if you would... Do this many Hail Marys, right? Or give a little bit more tithe. Or serve the church out of obligation and not out of an overflowing heart. So Paul is amazed right now that they are entertaining this gospel that is not true. See, all other religions, all other ideas of faith have something in them that says this is what you must do. Now, what's Christianity? Not only is it the one true way, but our only defense before God is the work of Jesus. Is that clear? The only defense. And that's where those who meet Jesus one day and say, did we not prophesy? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not deliver demons? What were they trying to defend themselves with? Their works are only defense before a perfect and holy God is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, Paul is just so frustrated and mad. The point is that, he's make, uh, that he is making to them is to abandon grace, to abandon the grace of Jesus is to abandon saving faith. That's the point he's making. If you abandon the grace of Jesus, you have no saving faith because your works cannot earn it. They can't. They were leaving the gospel of Jesus to pursue a gospel that wasn't really a gospel at all. So don't let there be confusion when we talk about works. Works will be in the life of a believer. Some will do many, some will do little, but works do not save you at all. Galatia was allowing a different gospel in which was false. Jesus is the center of the gospel. But the church was allowing and accepting another teaching, and these false teachers often come in a shiny package. Instead of salvation from hell, maybe they preach prosperity. Instead of renewing someone who is dead spiritually, they only promise physical healing. Instead of grace through faith, they teach good living. Instead of truth, they preach inclusion. Any of you guys ever heard any of those false teachings? There's a church, global church, that's working more towards inclusion. 
Uh, I pray, I hope that um, through the Holy Spirit, God always allows me with boldness to preach the gospel that a sin is a sin and that Jesus is the only way. Here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, we believe that a sin is a sin, whether I like it or whether you like it or not. I don't get to pick. And Jesus died for sinners. Amen? The great physician only comes to help those who are sick, and I am sick, and I need him. So therefore, if you are a sinner, if you feel like the church is picking on you, you're in a good place. Not because the church is wrongfully picking on you, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and sinners need a Savior. But what was happening here is a false teacher was coming. False teachers were coming to add to the gospel. They insert a different gospel for whatever their itching ears want to hear. Thus, to make it clear for us, what is the gospel? The gospel is a message of salvation through Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection. We can only be forgiven of our sins and walk reconciled to God through Jesus. That's it. The gospel is centered on Jesus and his work. The gospel's not about you. The gospel's not about your good works. The gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel begins with repentance of our sins, and the gospel means we turn from our sins and turn to God. Then the gospel proclaims we are saved by grace through faith. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Many of you are familiar with this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. You didn't do it. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I often talk to people and they talk about their past. Maybe their past was three hours ago or maybe their past was 40 years ago. And they think of all the bad things that they have done, all the ways that they have dishonored the ways of Jesus. So I ask you today, will you hear this message? Will you be set free from being, beating yourself up? Jesus has invited you into a relationship with him. And he said, it's not about how bad you were. It's not about what you did because I died for that. What it's about is you believing in me as the resurrected king who died on the cross for your sins. It's about grace alone. His grace and his blood has covered everything in the past and everything in the future. Now, what's dangerous is this, is when we understand that he covered everything in the past and into the future, but yet we still deliberately choose to do something wrong, right? Now, there's going to be this struggle. Sometimes we're just going to, within our hearts, choose to do something wrong. Jesus died for that. But we have to be careful that we don't continually live in the, without struggle. When we start living without struggle and to sin, you better come talk to church leadership because that's a really dangerous path. Amen? 
that struggle, that fight. God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to act this way. I don't want to think this way. I don't want to feel this way. That struggle, that argument with him. Why do you have to allow this to happen? That's a good place to be. I heard Vadi Bachman, or Vladi, however you say it, um, really bold preacher, like a lot of what he says. And he says, um, God doesn't take away um, the, I guess, how, do, how does he say it? Some people say, I, I, I want to forget about what I did 30 years ago. I want to forget about what I did 20 years ago. I want to forget what I did 10 years ago. And he said, actually, God not allowing us to forget about our old sin life is a good thing because if I forgot about it, I'd do it again. So just because you remember what you did 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago or last night, just because you remember it and you feel it a little bit doesn't mean that Jesus didn't die for it and that his grace isn't covering you. Amen? So when you feel it a little bit, that is a gift from God. So that you say, I don't want to feel that way again. I don't want to break his heart that way again. Now what ends up happening is that is what we call conviction. Amen? Conviction. Conviction comes from God. And then condemnation comes from the enemy. So Jesus is the redeemer. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So Jesus is saying, look, hey, I'm reminding or I'm allowing you to be reminded of these things so that you live differently. The accuser's coming to say, hey, look, this is how horrible you are. Jesus didn't die for you. You're good for nothing. You should just pout the rest of your life. You shouldn't go to church today because the pastor's going to this or the elder. I can't share my sin with the elders because the elders are going to think differently of me. The elders are going to accuse me or the elders, the elders this or the elders that. And I've shared this story before. And at one of the past churches that I was at, um, and we have a lot of new faces, so thank you new faces for being here. Some of the uh, other faces that remember the story, God bless you, keep on listening. There's something else in it you didn't hear last time when you were thinking about the beef stew. <laughs> so look, we were, in this, we were in this meeting, and while we were in this meeting, all the leaders were talking, and they said, I want to see more people after church respond at the altar. I'm like, yeah, me too. I would love to see more people respond at the altar, but not in a religious way. Look, what good does it have the whole church to respond up here and then be thinking about the football game after church? It's no good. So they're presenting their ideas and sharing their ideas, and I'm like, who in the world, I'm thinking to myself, and look, I'm, I'm young. I'm younger than what I am now. You think that I'm too young now to be a preacher? I was too young then to be in any kind of leadership, right? So that's what the world thought. So, so I'm sitting there and listening, and, and I'm thinking to myself, why in the world are we talking about ideas to get people to respond at the altar? That's just kind of weird. It seems kind of manipulative. Just, I didn't understand it. So for 45 minutes, this leadership team's talking and talking and talking. And then one person piped up, and they said, well, what I remember hearing, it wasn't quoting but what I remember hearing, so telephones going on, is that at Billy Graham's crusades, they used to have people who would sit around the uh, stadiums, and when he would give an altar call, these people would then stand up and they would walk down to the altar 
because someone who would stand up and walk to the altar made it easier for others to respond. Now, sure, we've all been in that moment where we've given an altar call. We're like, I don't want to be the first person. Anyone ever been there? So we understand that struggle of, I don't want to be the first person. But how horrible would you feel if every time we gave an altar call, I was like, I talked to Jim and Janet beforehand, and I talked to Bob, and I talked to Macy and Caleb, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to give an altar call. So you need to stand up after I give an altar call, and you come up here and respond, because that's going to make it easier for the congregation to respond. A little manipulative, wouldn't it be? Are you guys ready for later, by the way? <laughs> you know, essentially, essentially, what we're going to start doing is to make sure that you guys are paying attention. I want to start giving signals <laughs> during church. So if I start coughing and I need a water, that means the anointing of God's going to be up here, and I need my catchers. I hope I remember that in a few weeks and start giving signs. <laughs> and I said, wait a second. So I'm just getting courage and I'm getting mad and frustrated. And I'm like, wait a second. Who is it that sends people to the altar? Because if it's just a creativity and a message, then I don't want it. If it's just an emotion of a piano, I don't want it because the piano is not the saving grace. The piano is not the blood of Jesus. The piano is not the Holy Spirit. A craftiness of a message is, is not what I want. There's such a pressure as a pastor now to be so creative for appealing to a younger generation that sometimes I'm like, I'm not creative at all. But the good news about that is I don't stand on my creativeness. I stand on the Word of God. So my hope is that in my boringness, that the Scriptures alone would come alive, and it wouldn't be me that you see, that you would just feel the Word of God in your life and that the Holy Spirit would move through you. Amen? Amen. So as I'm sharing as this young punk, I probably had on a flat bill hat then. Now that I move back to Mechanicsburg, I have to curl it. <laughs> right? And it's kind of stuck in between, too. Either way, um, I share with them this. I said, you know what the problem is? Is the problem is not, the problem is not having people stand up and come walk down here to make it easier for people. The problem is not having leadership stand up here, stand up here and be ready to pray for people. The problem is not music or piano, the last five minutes of the message. The problem is this, is I don't believe that God trusts the leadership's heart with stewarding the mess that people are in. And until your heart is ready to see that person in a direction that God sees them after hearing the hardest things in their life be confessed, then he's not gonna send people up to pray, to pray or ask for forgiveness so that I name-dropped someone um, in the congregation. He's been there for years. Um, you know, essentially, there's Jesus, Paul, Paul, or Jesus, Paul, right, Billy Graham, and then there was this guy. <laughs> so, um, so what I ended up sharing is I said, imagine, 
that this guy came up. And while we're up there waiting for him, he comes up and he responds and he says, I just want to be honest with you. I've been looking at porn for the past 30 years. That war, word porn struck us, didn't it? That's such an evil word. And actually, statistically, there's people in this room who this week have looked at porn. And I said, imagine if we said that this person, or this person came up and he said, I've been struggling with porn for 30 years. How would you see him? And I looked at him and I said, would you see him differently? They said, yeah, I'd be surprised, I'd be frustrated, I'd be mad, I'd be disappointed. I'm like, that's why we're not seeing more people respond at the altar. Because the last thing that God wants to do is for us to present to them a works gospel, a you're not good enough gospel, and what he wants us to do is see them and present grace to them. Amen? Now, am I giving you permission to look at porn? I'm not. Am I giving you permission to be rude to your spouse, to flip someone off, to be prideful, to be arrogant? I'm not. Because every time that we did that was a reason why Jesus had to be whipped. Every time that we do that is the reason why Jesus had to be stabbed, why Jesus had to die on the cross. And in our house, we cry when a goldfish dies. We get medicine to help them live. Because death sucks. Doesn't death suck? Death is horrible. And this wasn't death by natural causes. This was death on purpose. This was murder on purpose. So if we can't be gracious to people who come up here and say, hey, we're going to stand in the gap and we're going to fight for you because it's not about your works, but the grace of God is going to empower you. The grace of God is going to give you the power and the strength and the courage to live outside of the sin. But if the church doesn't feel comfortable confessing, then they'll never be set free. It is not about works, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is, not about, it is not about yourself, for it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The grace of God, the grace of Jesus is the most powerful gift that we've ever been given. Amen? What happens is when we start to think that we've done good enough, that's the sin of pride that's trickling into our lives. One author says it this way. So by God's grace, we are brought to our knees in recognition of our sins before God. Yet, by the same grace, we are made to stand by faith in the righteousness of Christ. This is the true gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. Everything else we learn in God's word is connected in some way to furthering this message. But nothing in God's word changes the gospel or adds to it. We can't add water baptism next week. Water baptism doesn't save you. Tongues doesn't save you. Certain prayers do not save you. Circumcision does not save you. Ceremonies do not save you. Denominational membership 
does not save you. If I was a prosperity preacher, I'd be saying tithing saves you. But it doesn't. <laughs> tithing doesn't save you. Sometimes you will see churches claiming to teach the full gospel, which is a warning sign that they are distorting the gospel. I don't remember where the church was. We passed it twice yesterday, but full gospel um, church. Now, essentially, when they preach the full gospel, what ends up um, happening is the full gospel is with, hey, you must be baptized, you must do this, you must do this, you must do that. And what's happening there is they're adding works to the grace of God. We can't look outside the Bible to find new information to complement or change the truth, and we can't look backward into the Old Testament and find extra obligations to add to this truth. What Paul is saying here to the church of Galatia is that you are looking outside the Bible for the knowledge to add to the gospel. While the Judaizers, Judaizers, Judaizers were returning to the Old Testament to add obligations to the gospel. That's what was happening here. Paul says that these churches in Galatia were being distorted by men who wanted to distort the gospel in this way. The Judaizers fully intended to change Paul's message, and this wasn't an accident or misunderstanding. The word for distort literally means to twist or to turn around. They were manipulating the message to move it in a different direction. They claimed that what Paul taught the churches wasn't complete, wasn't enough. When the church heard this message, it disturbed them because they were hearing Paul's message of grace. And then they heard the Judaizers' message that said, grace plus something else. It not only confused the believers concerning the gospel, but it also left them doubting everything else Paul taught. And Paul was mad. Extremely mad. Paul wasn't going to stand for this. So verse 8, here's what Paul says. But even if we or an angel between heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Who wants to be under God's curse in here? He is so mad here to be under, or, or he's so mad that people are preaching against grace that he said, hey, look, angel, demon, person, whoever it is, if you add to this gospel, God's curse is coming upon you. What's worse than God's curse? Nothing. And what's God's ultimate curse? Hell. That's scary. So he wants us to understand the grace and the truth of Jesus so much that he said, hey, look, don't add anything. How many of us have added? Now, this isn't saying we're under God's curse, so don't hear that right? 
But I, within my own life, there's been moments where I felt like I have not been good enough. So then I try to hold a door or pay it forward. Or out of obligation, I bring up Jesus to someone at Walmart. Now, there's sometimes I bring up Jesus out of overflow. There's sometimes I bring up Jesus out of works. But how many of us have preached a gospel to ourselves that has been Jesus plus something else? Anyone else in here other than me? So one author says it this way. The language of these verses could not be more stark. Departing from the divine gospel to a mandate of pseudo-gospel is literally damning. Those who preach an uh, alternative gospel are under the curse of God. This is an adulterated gospel. No human being has the option of adjusting the Christian message of salvation for the purposes of making it easier to hear or accept. The only true good news is the apostolic message that has come to us in the scriptures from Jesus. The strictness of this standard points, sorry, the strictness of this standard points us to a precious precious truth. The reason the gospel cannot in any way be altered is that it comes from God himself and is uniquely imbued with his power. By this gospel of the one who gave himself for our sins, God actively calls us into the resurrection life of his son and out of hopelessness of this present age. This gospel accomplishes what no human message could ever achieve. To alter it in any way is the epitome of foolishness. Paul is telling them that whoever wants to add to this gospel will be under God's curse. Being under God's curse means damnable to hell. So if an angel, if you or I, if a preacher adds to it, they are cursed by God. Now, the Mormon church, um, essentially what ends up happening is what? An a- uh, the Mormon church started because an angel came and gave someone revelation. So what they did is they took their story and then they added to the Bible. What's Paul telling the Mormon church? We're not going to back away from it. There might be a Mormon listening today. Jesus loves you. There might be people in here who have Mormon roots. Jesus loves you. But what this scripture is telling us today is that revelation that then you begin to teach is adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was so serious about grace being the only way that not only did he say it once, he said it twice, right? Don't think of Paul in this moment just sitting or, you know, speaking this, sharing this in a way that's just soft and patient. Paul is using strong language here, extremely strong language, in a passionate way because he's emphasizing it twice. He was mad. When you think of righteous anger, I think that Paul was really showing what righteous anger looks like here. It wasn't for 
him that he was frustrated. He was frustrated for the sake of Christ and those who might be misled and not make it into heaven one day. Therefore, as we ponder Paul's teaching today, I ask you this. Have you believed or even taught yourself that you can earn your way to heaven? Are you living under that idea today that you can earn your way to heaven? Paul is saying, stop believing that. Stop. Today, stop believing that. It's all about God's grace. So I want to clarify. Don't go sin today. Please, please, please don't mishear this message and go home and say to yourself, well, Pastor Joe, we said it's all about grace, so I can. Now, yeah, I'm not even going to go there. Just please don't do that. It's all about God's grace. But may God's grace break your heart in such a way that you say, thank you, Jesus. I don't want to sin because of your grace. So I'm saying this because of his grace and his mercy. We should repent of our sins and trust him and obey him and follow him and love him more. Amen? So those who I talked to before service, get ready to walk up here. I just want us to respond in our seats today. So, uh, Father, um, there is just the spirit of the Antichrist that is just seeking to destroy and devour, and there's demons and the devil that are seeking to isolate and divide the church to tell us that we're not good enough, that we're not holy enough to speak to you, that we're not good enough or holy enough to be loved by you, that our past sins and our present sins cause us to not be able to walk in relationship with you. And Father, there's many people in the story or in, in the Bible that we're just reminded of. Moses, a murderer. Father, then he fled to the far side to try to avoid you and the calling on his life. And we think of David, Father, who was supposed to be at war and might have forced himself on Bathsheba, Father, and then plotted to kill someone and got them killed. But somehow, Father, through your grace, you tell us that he was a man after your own heart. Father, I pray that when we mess up, our hearts will be broken and, and talk to you about our frustration and our flesh, that we'd be able to have trusted people that we could just vent our sins to in a way that um, we are not condemned. I ask today that your grace would empower us to live freely, to not live under the curse of the law, under the curse of the world, but there would just be this thankfulness that you have set us free through your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.